0: Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up With The Truth. A packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. We are going to talk about some recent news items regarding the church and cultural issues, but pretty much uh, talking about Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to get that out and get that ready, a call to salvation, endurance, and of course, to truth. Father in heaven, thank you for another opportunity to talk about things that matter, and in in terms of eternity and in our individual personal lives, Lord, we pray for those who are listening right now going through hard times, we ask that you would encourage their hearts and draw them to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and uh, open up the eyes of our understanding And uh, just lead us by your Spirit, Father, guide us into all truth as we talk about these issues. And please, especially during this Christmas season, may we react and respond in our individual lives, in our sphere of influence, in our culture in this country, with the love of God, but never compromise on the truth. In Jesus' name, we lift up this hour to you and we thank you for it. Amen. Well, Pastor Mike Abendroth is back with us today, No Compromise Radio. We're glad to have him back. Uh, Mike graduated, of course, from the Master's Seminary in 1996. He's been Senior Pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church in Massachusetts since 1997. He's the author of several books, including Sexual Fidelity, Things That Go Bump in the Church, Discovering Romans, and Evangelical White Lies. Pastor Mike, thank you for coming back on Stand Up for the Truth.
2: David, I'm glad to be on. I think I've been coming back as a semi-regular guest for, I don't know, five to eight years, so I'm glad to be back on. I'm looking outside of my window today here in central Massachusetts, and we had a couple feet of snow. It's raining in 55, so we're hoping for a white Christmas still.
1: Raining in 55, and you're complaining about that. It, today is the first day it dipped down to, I think, 10 or under and we're going all right that's it's December but Mike I want to start out before we get into some questions um, I came across an email going back and looking th- through my past contacts and trying to find a recent uh, email address for you oh I, and um, I came across this one from 2017 when you sent one that said uh, well the report was you were cancer-free and that I believe it was almost two years ago how's your health and do you ever look back and go, wow, Lord, thank you for continuing to carry me?
2: Yeah, well, thank you for asking. It was, I think, 2016. I had done a, a different national radio show, and I got off the phone, and the doctor said on the answer machine, please call me for the test results, and my background's medical Um, related, and so I knew that was bad. because Mm. He would have said, oh, uh, the test results are good, you're cancer-free with the biopsy, Merry Christmas, but when they say call you back. So, Mm. I didn't know how bad the prostate cancer was. It turned out it was not that bad. I had some radiation and treatment and all the stuff that goes along with it, and I began to think to myself, you know, I've always preached about the sovereignty of God, and Psalm 103, His sovereignty rules over all, and is God sovereign over every molecule and atom? And I would always teach that, yes, it's true, because we can't have any rogue atoms, as a, as R.C. Sproul says, in mm-hmm. the universe. And then I thought, yeah, but when it comes to me, then uh, do I still trust in the Lord for that? And so it was very good. I realized uh, lots of things with the diagnosis of cancer, like many of your listeners have probably gone through as well. And I realized I'm not as strong as I thought, and I didn't mean just physically, but... Even, even spiritually. Although a pastor and, and you know a Bible teacher, I still think to myself, you know what? Uh, there are times of worry and doubt, and it just made me realize, as Robert Murray McShane said, every time you look to yourself, you should look to the Lord Jesus ten times. Hmm. And so, what it did throughout the process was essentially make me realize that I'm weak and I have to look to the strong Savior. And a little bit of weak faith in a strong object, the Lord Jesus, is enough. And so it made me think to myself, for instance, Hebrews 11, you've got Noah and David and Jephthah and Samson and a lot of people who are far um, from faithful, but they had faith in the right object. And so that was the big lesson that I learned. And I realized that while I'm declared righteous by the work of Jesus, I still struggle with sin And I still need the Savior every day. So thanks for asking. Things seem to be going well now. I have some more tests earlier in the year, uh, but I'm thankful to proclaim uh, the Lord Jesus every Sunday. Uh, It has also made me, David, think every time I preach now on Sunday, this could be my last sermon. hmm. Make it good and make it about Jesus.
1: Wow. that Just that thought in your head or that reminder while you're prepping or while you're preaching, that will cause you to speak the truth and not compromise.
2: Yeah, I I, I'm kind of an odd person, I'm sure. Uh, to some <laughs> of the listeners will, will, will now confirm that. But uh, probably five years ago, I was reading about Puritan pastors, and they would often have skulls, human skulls, on their desk to remind them of their own mortality and the mortality of every person in the congregation.
0: That and makes so I sense. thought, you know
2: what, um, I'm going to buy a ceramic one. They're like $30. And so I just had it on my desk and it was just interesting. And the kids would come in, little three-year-olds would they come into my study and they'd say, oh, that's a zombie or something funny, you know. And, and uh, then all of a sudden, then when you get cancer, it wasn't like a funny property prop anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was real. And uh, I've preached to people who, you know, have died. And the last time they, you know, heard a sermon was when I was preaching it. And so instead of having... Uh, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with the law or preaching uh, morality, but that if it ends with that and it doesn't get to the good news, mm. uh, Paul said for a reason in First Corinthians two, that uh, we are determined. He said, "I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and Him crucified." In Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-eight, Him we proclaim. So I think it is the duty of the pastor every Sunday to make announcements. And I don't mean the potlucks tonight. I mean this announcement. I have good news for you, <laughs> that no matter what you've done this week, Christian, Christ's blood is enough, and you are covered, and that you are good with God. You don't have to pray enough, read enough, evangelize enough, uh, suffer well enough. Uh, if you're trusting the Lord Jesus, he prayed enough. He suffered enough. He died enough. And you stand in him. And so, therefore, as Jesus would say, rest.
1: hmm Praise God for that. What a great way to kick off this program, Pastor Mike, making that announcement. And when I think of announcements, I'm going, boy, what did the American church do with, quote, announcements? It's always about church business or about what's going on. Yeah, the potluck and then the bake sale and whatever else is coming up. But we, if we get away from the gospel and that hope, I, that's, that's a great reminder for all of us. So thank you for that. Um,
2: you're welcome. I know you're going to want to go somewhere else for a second, David, And yeah. I know it's your show, but I have to say, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I announce the good news. I gospel the gospel. And so there's a way to say the good news. So the content of the good news is important. Yes, it's vital. But since it's so important, the way we announce it has to be important as well. And uh, I was thinking the other day in 1945, VJ Day, Victory Over Japan. And people, when they heard the announcement that the war is over and uh, there's been a surrender and we don't have to fight anymore, I mean, just the jubilation and the excitement. Mm. And now to think because of the Lord Jesus' life and death and resurrection, God isn't angry with people anymore, with believers. Uh, He's friends with them. And that's a good announcement
0: because, uh, as
2: I always tell people, you do have a personal relationship with Jesus, even if you're an unbeliever. And uh, that relationship is of em- enmity. But mm. now, because of the Lord Jesus, we're friends with the Father. And so I like to announce that good news every week.
1: Thank you, Pastor Mike. I, I'm, I'm struggling with going into these questions. Just a, <laughs> a, a couple questions I've had prepared on culture and issues that are kind of like, oh my goodness, in light of what we just started talking about, I'm looking at First Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and then he was buried and raised on the third day, and then he appeared to so many people. But that's the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, and our job is to believe and to preach it. And, boy, the church is really struggling with, maybe maybe we're getting the believing part down, but the preaching of the good news in context and in its clarity and truth and power Boy, we've gotten away from that. I'll, I'll give you a, just another opportunity to just, just share your, your heart about that. Sure. Issue.
2: Yeah, well, what happens, David, is we begin to kind of buy into some of these uh, half-truths. And is it important to uh, live a life commensurate with the Gospel, Ephesians one. Of course. Is it important, Titus, uh, to adorn the Gospel? Yes. But we've somehow bought the lie that you can live the Gospel. And going back to those words, to announce or to proclaim or to herald, you don't herald the good news by living. Now, I don't want you to be hypocritical, of course, although we all struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But the good news must be announced. And so think back in the old days uh, there's a herald, and uh, the herald's at the front lines of a battle, and he notices that the troops are winning. And so he, he goes back and reports the, to the king, We're winning. And the king says, Go tell the lands. Go tell my kingdom, we're winning. And so he doesn't just walk out there and says, you know, uh, preach the gospel by all means, and if necessary, use words. That's not right. That's not what we do. He opens his mouth, he smiles, and he says, I have good news, the troops are winning. And so I think often, and I struggle with this too, so I'm just not slamming people, we don't really want to open our mouths and say, there's only one way, his name is Jesus. All the other ways are false. There are Bible verses like 1 John chapter 4, do not believe in these false spirits. And therefore, we want to keep our friends and neighbors and families uh, happy, and we have fear of man instead of fear of God. If you live a good, decent life, not many people are going to question themselves, are you? But if you live a decent life and tell them with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we want you to believe in him for your sins to be forgiven, then... That's another story and so it's good to be reminded and even to the cultural update david we ought to be looking at cultural issues Mm -hmm. in light of the gospel yes instead of it's just a cultural issue and how can we redeem the culture every single person who's a republican or a democrat who doesn't believe in jesus this gospel that you just read in first corinthians 15 if they don't believe they're going to go to an eternal hell Mm. And it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute or a policeman or a politician. If you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. So I'm not trying to see the world uh, culturally. I'm trying to see the culture through the lens of the gospel because I'm trying to think these people all need the good news. I know the good news. And as my friend often says, if I had the cure for cancer and didn't go tell people, uh, what kind of a, a monster would I be?
1: Mm. Seeing <laughs> culture through the lens of Scripture. Biblical worldview. Pastor Mike Abendroth, thank you for that. I think of that quote, by it's been attributed to St. Frank, St. Francis of Assisi, and it's always kind of bugged me. It sounds really good, but it kind of bugs me because if we uh, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary use words, then people, like you said, can go to hell thinking that we're just a good person and we were a moral person.
2: Well, it's so true, and, you know, you could just switch it around with some thinking. We all realize that's an inane statement. Uh, <laughs> Feed the poor at all times, if necessary, use food. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so so here's the really, really good news besides, G- besides Jesus' resurrection. I realize that it's the gospel that saves. So when I personally, as a neighbor and a dad and a friend and a coworker, when I don't live truths, commensurate with what I know to be true, i.e., I sin, I'm rude, I'm self-righteous, I'm prideful, uh, I'm not loving my neighbor, that doesn't stop anything. I mean, when people look at our lives and they say, well, you know what, uh, what, I think it was Gandhi, you know, I I, I love Christ, but I don't, you know, Christians I don't like. Mm -hmm. I still want to live a holy life. I don't want anybody to get me wrong. But what if people had to get saved by looking at my life? I, it's not the gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Mike Abendroth, because if that was the gospel, we'd be in bad trouble. But the only one who could live the gospel was Jesus, and he said to his followers, Preach the gospel, evangelize, tell other people. And since God is working through that proclamation, we don't have to be great at it. We just need to be faithful. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said as he told his disciples and us to preach the gospel, he said, and lo, or behold, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. He's with us when we do that. And so I get great comfort knowing that if people look at my life and that's the only thing they have to be saved, they never would get saved, or they don't know me well enough. But I have one that I can talk about who is never hypocritical and never sinful, mm-hmm. and he is the perfect law keeper, and they need him.
1: Amen. Um, speaking of the gospel, there's a very influential man who recently came to know the Lord and has been saved and has been preaching the gospel, and his name is Kanye West. Uh, Pastor Mike, and th- there's so much to talk about regarding this, so we'll take it wherever the Holy Spirit leads, but in the uh, Lifestyles of the Rich, Spiritual, and Famous, um, entertainer Kanye West plans to join Joel and Victoria Osteen for their Night of Hope in May 2020 at at New York City in the Yankee Stadium. Now, we understand that the lyrics in Kanye West's recent project, um, Jesus is King, are very gospel-centered and oriented, and he's been preaching the gospel at uh, different—he's gone into prisons, he's gone at his concerts. It's, It's been very interesting to see, and we are looking at it with cautious optimism, but I'd be interested in your take on Kanye West, who is a relatively young Christian convert, who seems sincere, and he seems to have a desire to really preach the gospel, but now he's partnering with what most of us understand as a prosperity preacher who already has a tremendous influence on many, many, many people, and I want to get your concerns and observations on this very important influential man.
2: Right. Well... Uh, that's an excellent observation, and I think just generally speaking, uh, when I uh, meet a young child, and let's say they're 10 years old, and they, came up, uh, they come up to me and they say, Pastor Mike, Pastor Abendroth, I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. Now, I could say a lot of things. I could say kind of like what the Puritans used to say for adult conversions, time and trials will show forth the validity of that because I can't see an invisible uh, trusting of faith. Uh, I could say, you're too young to know abstract thoughts and, uh, you know, don't bother me. But what I end up doing is, especially if they're even smaller than that, I'll bend down a little bit. That's harder to do, by the way, at my age. (laughs) But I I bend down a little bit and I say, that is great. Way to go. I'm so thankful for that testimony. And then I always say the same thing. I say, keep believing, Hmm. because that is the testimony of 1 John uh, in the Bible. Lots of present tense believing. Keep believing. And so many Christians have said, well, you know, I know I'm a Christian uh, because I walked the aisle 20 years ago or I signed a card, and I don't really have any affections for Jesus now, but I did it in the past. And, And I would say to them, are you believing right now? Well, let's transfer that to Kanye. I could say, well, you know what, Bob Dylan was the only other person like Kanye in this particular music industry that was so huge, who makes a profession of faith in Christ, has some albums saved, etc. And then I don't know if Bob Dylan says he's even a believer now. Mm. So <clears throat> I could kind of take that approach. But these days I'm thinking to myself, I'm thankful that around the world people are seeing the words, Jesus is King. Yes, I'm thankful that... <clears throat> man who initially is discipling uh, Kanye, and I don't know if he's still doing that, but Adam Tyson is pastor of Placerita Canyon Baptist Church, and I know Adam, and he's a solid man, and he's been trying to teach Kanye behind the scenes a variety of different Bible studies and, and talking about who the Lord is, and has spoken at some of the uh, Sunday services uh, for Kanye. And I think Adam probably would have said to Kanye, if you're going to go to Joe Osteen's church, uh, and go to New York City. And by the way, I, he might be backing out of that. I'm not certain, but that could be. Uh, make sure you preach the gospel to Joel and 40,000 people. <laughs> I don't think you should go yet because you're not uh, mature enough to be kind of on a speaking tour. But if you do open your mouth, here's what you say, and here's of first importance. And let's talk about First Corinthians 15. And then if he asks you about gay marriage, he asks you about politics, he asks you about anything else you say, well, there's a lot I don't know, but what I do know is, I was a great sinner, but Jesus is a greater Savior. Mm, He's my representative yes. substitute and risen Savior, and I want everybody here to repent from their sins and trust in the Savior. And I think if that would have been the approach, fine. But I was disappointed that Kanye went, and it seems like he got involved with all the hoopla and uh, all the buzz about you know famous people. Yeah. So I, I guess technically the jury's still out. What I do know is this— in First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, God chooses so often people who are not famous. Uh, the text says he cho- chooses what's foolish to the world mm-hmm. and low and despised, uh, that no one would boast in, in the Lord. But once in a while, there are people of great influence that the Lord saves, and so I want the best for him, and I think Christians should pray for him. Yes. We all make... I make stupid mistakes now, and I'm a pastor for 22 years. So I'm sure he makes mistakes as well. Mm. And so I think I want to give grace uh, to the new believers. When new believers are around me and they say something kind of dumb, I don't usually correct them uh, until, you know, maybe we're going to sit down for a class, or they'll learn. And, you know, Kanye just needs to sit under good Bible teaching I heard he enrolled at Reformed Theological Seminary, which is a good seminary, Hmm. and uh, for that I'm thankful. So I'm optimistic. Uh, Jesus is king, and I would would advise Kanye, don't partner up with Joel Osteen. Preach to him instead.
1: Amen, amen. And before we take a break and go on to another topic, um, I read some Christian uh, musicians and artists who had their take on uh, Kanye West, and one, his name is Josh Baldwin, said, I was blown away by how much... His CD is packed full of the gospel, and this is what he said. Here's a Christian artist now. He said, very few non-believers are listening to my album, but they're listening to Kanye, and this is the real thing, and it can touch so many people. So I'm thankful that, uh, as you know, uh, that Jesus is being proclaimed, and hopefully he will continue on the straight and narrow. When we come back, more with Pastor Mike Abendroth.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: I promise you we will get to Hebrews chapter 10, but we did go through a lot of scriptures there with Pastor Mike Abendroth, and he's back with us, and another important topic. Before we get to that, the one thing I wanted to ask you, Pastor Mike, you know, we often put our Christian leaders up on a pedestal. We often maybe have expectations of our pastors and it's, it's hard to live up to all of our expectations, but what about Christian celebrities? I was thinking about this. We should not have these high expectations about a Kanye West or anyone else who might be a new believer just because they have a platform. I'd love your thoughts on that.
2: Yes, David, as, as we assess that, and I think that you, you asked the question with good insight because you want people to process the answers, uh, There was an old saying, a Latin saying, that Luther coined that I think is very apropos. And it's pretty easy to get in English, even. It's simul, which is simultaneous. Eustace, that's with a J, uh, just or righteous. Et, and that's and, and peccator is sinner. And so Luther looks at his own life. He looks at Noah after he gets out of the ark. He He looks at David, man, after God's own heart sleeps with Bathsheba and kills her husband, he looks at Samson, who says to his parents, get me a wife, and later uh, has a prostitute. And you just look at the people in Scripture, uh, Cain killing, uh, I mean, uh, Abel being killed by his brother. And so how do we explain that? What do we do with Christians who sin? And so Luther would say, we're simultaneously just, that is, Jesus lived a perfect life, he kept the law, he did the right thing, and that's what righteousness is, law-keeping. And that was credited to our account. That was put in our account uh, by what the Scripture calls imputation, our reckoning, our crediting. It's a a judicial term. Yet, and our sins were credited to Jesus' account, even though he didn't sin. Yet, we're still sinful. And so, how do we explain Christians who sin? You look at Romans 7 and Paul's agony of crying out, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He knew the right thing to do as a mature apostle, but he often didn't do it. And that's really our lives. If we're Mm. honest with ourselves, um, we could really despair. We could really become depressed because Mm. we actually probably recognize our sins more now as believers than we did as unbelievers. And at least when we were unbelievers when we sinned, we had kind of an excuse. We had I don't mean the excuse before God, but there was a reason. What's the reason Christians sin now when we know the, the power of sin has been dealt with by the Lord Jesus, Romans 6? Hmm. So the answer to your question is, when I think of Christians who sin, I just think to myself, while they can do many wonderful things and godly things, uh, there are times they walk in the flesh and not in the Spirit, and uh, I should not be so judgmental when Christians sin. I should be grieved, Because I realize deep down in my heart, I'm just like them, Mm. and maybe nobody saw my sin because I wasn't a celebrity, but I do too, and so we need to make sure we assess things properly. James 2 says in the context of partiality, if you compare yourself to the Lord of glory, you're nobody. And so here I think a good principle is the same thing, instead of me comparing myself to a person who does something dumb and falls and think, oh, I'm, I'm better than them, or I don't do that. I think I need to be reminded who the Lord Jesus is. And maybe a celebrity gets caught committing adultery, and I think, oh, how could they? Well, I don't celebrate that they committed adultery, but Jesus said, if I commit lust in my heart, I've done the same thing. So I think we really need to see things just like with culture. How do I see a celebrity that falls? Well, Christians do sin, and I'm sad for it, but I need to make sure I realize my own sin and take ownership for it.
1: Mm, great insight. Thank you, Pastor Mike. There are what some might consider celebrity preachers and pastors in America, and I don't know how we got to that point, and elevating people, and then there's these camps of being loyal to a man or a woman no matter what, and it gets really messy. But one thing I wanted to get to, and this is a controversial topic Approximately 80% of Americans and 62% of practicing Christians are open to women pastors. Now, in that 62% of practicing Christians, approximately 40% of evangelicals are open to women being pastors and church leaders. Back, just to give you an example, if you're listening and going, wow, that seems like high, back in 1960, just 2% of clergy were women. Um, Pastor Mike, before we get into some people who are involved in a recent uh, controversy on this, what are your thoughts on this trend?
2: Well, I think, David, time has gone on, and we have been affected by the world. Um, I think if you want to, you know, assess life, you assess the world. Uh, one, one old writer said, if you want to know what the world is thinking, don't look at the world, look at the Church because she's going to catch the contagion of the world all too often, and sadly. And I look at the Church, and I think, you know what, she's becoming just like the world. Mm. And um, we have bought the lie in the Church that um, function and essence are the same thing. That is to say, women and men are both image bearers. Women and men both have souls. Women and men... Are both regenerated exactly the same way, justified the same way, are just as justified as each other. Uh, both have the Holy Spirit. Both have forgiveness of sins. Both have spiritual gifts. There's so many things, like Galatians three says, that we are equal in Christ Jesus, and that is so true. Mm-hmm. But now we've 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 said we're equal in Christ. Therefore, our our functions must be the same, uh. and they're just different functions, and so. Uh, when I look at the when I look at the family, dads and moms are equal as partners in marriage and life, but they have different functions. And, and sane people recognize that. I mean, the world wants to blend everything together, genderless, etc. But there are different functions. Dad have one function, and a mom has another function, and they're good at different things. And so that's just the design of God. So I think as people now have begun to say. We have to have the same functions to make sure we have equality. I really think it's a slam against God's sovereignty. We don't like the way God's governed the world. Why does everybody hate the Jews? Because God picked the Jews. Hmm. Why do people want to do transgender stuff? Lots of reasons. One is they don't like the sex that God assigned them to be. Uh, And so similarly here, too, we have all the uprising of, you know, we just want to keep women at home and in the kitchen and this, that, and the other. The, my responsibility as a pastor, what does the Bible say? Mm, yes. and if you want to change what the Bible says, you can. It's a free country. But the name Christianity is already taken, and it's Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not anybody else's church. And in Jesus' church, he's told us what to do. He's told us to preach and to pray and to baptize Lord's Supper, give, sing, etc., Scripture read. And he's also told us about functions and offices, elder, deacon, and who is to be in those. And I look at the Lord Jesus and how he picked apostles, and that's just what he did. He picked male apostles. And what Paul writes to a church at Ephesus in First Timothy, he makes it super clear, and he just says, uh, I want uh, this to happen with the sexes. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but she is to remain quiet. And what the society has done, our church has done this, it has turned that verse into this. I do allow, I do permit a woman to teach and exercise authority over a man. She shouldn't be quiet. So when you can take First Timothy 2.12 and change it to the exact opposite meaning yeah. to fit your paradigm, there's something wrong.
1: And this, of course, comes up because uh, in October there was a conference out in California, Grace Community Church, Pastor John MacArthur, uh, Truth Matters, I believe it's called, and he was kind of put on the spot, Pastor Mike. He, there was this uh, little q and A, I I guess. It must have been at the end. Todd Friel of Wretched Radio was up there asking the panel questions. Pastor John MacArthur was there, and uh, after the fact, he said, I do not like giving short answers, and I don't like being put in a position to do that because I feel like it just escalates confusion. And then he went on in the week or week after to preach on this topic that you just shared a little bit about, But his initial response when he was asked about Beth Moore was, go home. Now, people laughed, and some people, just reading that, it seems like, oh, my goodness, that seems like not a very tactful thing to say. But that's without the context. Well, the Scriptures, to back up what he said, it seems a little harsh. I would love for you to just put that to rest that we have to go back to the Word of God and then we obviously have to communicate it clearly and with grace. But this idea, because there are women who are celebrities now, I mean, Paula White is another one who a lot of evangelicals are promoting and endorsing. I guess she's got a new book out. Um, she's um, on the, um, oh, she's Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, one of them. And she's a prosperity preacher. And there's just some dangers of, these women in these positions being elevated to such a place where Christians in the church are going, yes, way to go. So I'd love for you to just speak into this controversy with John MacArthur and Beth Moore, where John MacArthur clearly said women pastors and women preachers are the most obvious evidence, evidence of churches rebelling against the Bible. And he means this in the sense of feminism. I mean, the the how feminism has influenced our culture now in a very unhealthy way um, really is not good for men, and especially for men in the Church. Go ahead, Pastor Mike.
2: Right. Well, I I like how you gave the context, David, because I think sometimes people read the blurb, and Mm -hmm. then it's framed in a certain way. I learned years ago when people want to interview me for print articles, they can pretty much take my words and turn them into what they want, Uh, And so I'm glad for the context. In light of that, I'd also like to say, if somebody tells you truth and you don't think it's done in a loving way, therefore you say, you know what, I'm not going to believe the truth because I don't like the way it was delivered, that's an additional problem, Mm -hmm. right? Let's just say, for argument's sake, that John should have been nicer, but if he still told us the truth in a way that wasn't so nice, it doesn't abrogate the truth. And so I think we need to make sure that's clear, too. I mean, all, all I can do is go back to Scripture and say, uh, why does Paul say, I don't want women to be in leadership? He's already said in Galatians, an epistle that's written earlier, that men and women are equal in Christ. So why is yes. he saying this? And why does he say elders and overseers, bishops, to use the three different words for uh, what we would call an elder or a pastor? Why does he say uh, masculine language, the husband of one wife, because He doesn't love women. He he demeans women. I mean, it was Paul and the Lord Jesus who took women out of, you know, basically they were treated like chattel, and now they're image bearers of the triune God, and here's all the things they can do. But back to the text. Why does Paul say this? One, Adam was formed first, then Eve. So the first argument of Paul is creation order. This is before the fall. Hmm. We can't say to ourselves, well, you know, They could preach, and then the fall happens, so this is the result of the fall. No. Adam first, then Eve. And then the second one is very interesting. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So what is Paul saying? Um, Adam, uh, he was our federal head, and we got credit for his sin, and I think he should have cut the head off of Satan uh, the second he started saying some wrong things to Eve. Uh, But Eve was deceived, And so I think about this with my wife, uh, a wonderful mother of my four children. In the middle of the night when the kids were little, what side of the bed did they come to if they were sick? They didn't come to my side. They wanted someone to nurture them and to care for them and open arms. And that's what ladies excel in. You just watch a a young mom with two children on her hips and pushing a a shopping cart. Mm. She just excels in, in that. She's just made to just take care of women and other people in such a good way. Well sometimes what happens when false teachers creep into the church, I don't want the nurturer. I need the one that just cuts to the chase and says, you know what, we'll size them up. And it's harder uh, um, for women to work through this because their nature is one of acceptance. I know women, many of them, they are great discerners. They're not deceived by many things. But just generally speaking, as an office, Paul gives deception as one of the reasons why Eve was deceived Therefore, he wants the men to be preachers. And people say, Mike, I can't believe you just said that. I, I, I just said it because it's in the text. What do you want me to do? Say, <laughs> I don't like this part of scripture and cut mm-hmm. it out. And that's exactly what some people are doing. They're like, we will not address this because we think somehow this means God hates women. I hate women. It has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love my wife and I want to cherish my wife. And if my wife thought I was some kind of domineering male chauvinist, she would call me on it. She'd probably call the elders, too. (laughs) But the text is what the text is. Mm -hmm. God said in His Church, He wants men preaching, and anything less than that, anything different than that, is therefore sinful, and Beth Moore does need to be told, either nicely or sharply, she needs to be rebuked, stop preaching to men, and you should
1: go home. Mm. Thank you for the honest truth, Pastor Mike, and uh, of course, so many women are wonderful at mentoring and teaching women's Bible studies and leading other women and discipling, and so we don't want to discount the work that a lot of women are doing in churches across the country, but this is very clear as far as the positions of leadership, the, you know, from the top down. It's got to be Christ the head, then the man, then the woman.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, David. I would probably want to go to another subject, or maybe you don't, but when I... When I read the scriptures, it's, it's kind of like, okay, w- what, is, what is going on with our minds that we, we, we believe what the world says? And then when we read scriptures, if I were to just read out loud in a public place, mm-hmm. Titus 2, and it's talking about young women and uh, uh, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind, submissive to their own husbands. And here's the reason why. That the Word of God may not be reviled. Now, when I read that, people go apoplectic. Workers at home, submissive to their husbands. When I officiate weddings, I don't allow the couple to write their own vows because they're usually too sappy and they are symmetrical. That is to say, they're not different. They don't recognize husbands are told in Scripture, for instance, to uh, not be embittered to their wives, and wives are told to respect their husbands. Why, Why is that different? Well, because if I'm a leader and I don't lead well, it's hard for my wife to respect me, but she should out of the Scripture's command. If I have somebody under me in terms of my authority, my wife, and she doesn't do what I say, I could be embittered. So, Anyway, I don't let them write their own vows, but when I stand up in front of a, a, a mixed audience, believers and unbelievers, and I say something about submission of the wife during the vows, people freak out. I haven't had anybody yell yet, but I'm <laughs> sure it's coming.
1: <laughs> and it's it's just that, that we are allowing our culture to kind of uh, influence the Church and instead of, well, we're told not to conform to the world, right? And there are very good reasons for that Paul gives us those instructions. Pastor Mike Abendroth, we are going to get to the assurance of salvation in Hebrews chapter 10, (laughs) God willing, when we come back from this break.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: We have Pastor Mike Abendroth with us of No Compromise Radio, and Mike, I have to admit and confess to our audience, I am struggling right now with the my preparation for this interview and the questions I had and the scriptures that we were going to get to, but I, I do—I I really think. This needs to be talked about. You've been preaching on Hebrews chapter 10 at your church, and I think a lot of people need to be reminded of the full assurance of faith that we have, in light of even recent debates about uh, whether a man or woman can lose their salvation after they've been authentically converted. But you talked about Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, and then 26 through 31, and you You've been going through this, and I know you're very good at, since you preached them recently, you can probably maybe provide some bullet points for us that we can get some of the meat that you've been teaching, even though it's we've got a short time left. So a call to salvation in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, and, and just take it wherever you want and make some points that will really encourage our listeners.
2: Sure. Well, I love to talk about Hebrews because people call it the fifth gospel, uh, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John attesting to the good news of Jesus. And now this whole sermon slash epistle, because it's really both, it's all about who Jesus is. And so 13 chapters, he extols Jesus as high priest. And priests do mainly two things. They pray and they make sacrifice. So Jesus makes intercession for us, chapter 7, and he, the priest, offers the sacrifice, that is, himself. And so what, what the writer is doing he does what Paul does, for instance, in Ephesians, first three chapters doctrine, then how do we live in light of that duty? And so he does the same thing in Hebrews, but it's not uh, six and a half chapters, then six and a half for creed and conduct. The first nine and a half chapters through Hebrews 10:18 is about who Jesus is with some morning passages, and then he makes... with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here's the wonderful thing. If your listeners, if all of us, read Hebrews with an eye toward the recipients, that is, how would the Jewish people understand this? Yes. I tell my congregation, think like a Jew. Here's what he's doing. When Paul meets a Gentile jailer, he says, Repent, uh, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And that's a good thing to say, and you could say it, and this writer could have said it. But what does he do? He's talking to these Jewish people, and he uses Jewish language to give the call to salvation. So think about it for a second. He says, I want you to have confidence to enter the holy places. He is telling them to believe, but he does it in an interesting way. Hmm. Here's the backdrop. Once a year, Day of Atonement, the high priest walks into the holy place, and then the Holy of Holies. Tradition said he had a rope around his leg and some bells on his ankles because if he had his own sin not dealt with before he walked in, he would fall over dead. They'd have to pull him out because you just can't saunter into the Holy of Holies. Nobody walks in. Nobody gets in there without just getting consumed by the glory of God. Hmm. And so what do you do now? What do you do since Jesus has lived, died, and raised from the dead? Now you, dear person, you unbelieving jew because he writes to unbelievers and believers i want you to just walk right in with confidence wow enter in the holy place by the blood of jesus how can any christian come into the presence of god the father the thrice holy god without becoming extinguished without becoming uh, eviscerated answer because of the lord jesus and if you don't have any sins because he's paid for them and if you have perfect righteousness God the Father sees you like you're perfect, like the Son, all through that doctrine of justification. Now it says, draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Come in, approach, approach my throne. No wonder Jude says in verses 24 and 25 that you can approach him blameless without great joy and with great joy. Mm. So what he's doing is he's saying, these are all the truths of Jesus. Now let's press on do you believe are you trusting have you entered into the holy places by faith alone in Jesus and it's just this great language that he uses how could we be assured in the Old Testament of salvation when we just had to slay another animal there's been one slain lamb and his name's Jesus Hebrews 9 so you don't have to do anything matter of fact you can't do anything because all your works are tainted so why don't you just trust God, take him at his word, and enter the holy place? And what we would say by that is, that is equivalent to belief. Isn't mm. that pretty?
1: That's awesome. And I just think of John the Baptist pointing out and saying, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I love the fact that you—and we, we need to remember context, context, context. I love the fact that you said this is a call to salvation to the Israelites, to the Israelites, to the Jews. And this is written to them It explains who Jesus is, lays that case and makes it so thoroughly about the high priest and that Jesus now, of course, jump into Hebrews 12 where he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But in Hebrews 10, I really like the way, first of all, if you think about context, going back to the first verse, um, uh, where it says, or not the first verse, but where it says earlier in the chapter that he sacrificed himself once for all. And no other sacrifices need to be made, because He is the, the final sacrifice.
2: Right, and you know, for us, many times, and maybe there's some people listening today who aren't Christians, they're not believing, people say, well, you know what, I can't come because I've committed all these horrible sins, if you only knew what I did, and I've got to clean up my life a little bit in order to come, and I've got to become a little more religious, or I have to quit this particular vice or that particular vice. The Bible says unbelievers are slaves to sins. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They're blinded by Satan. And so you can't make yourself good enough. If you could, why kill Jesus, Galatians 2? Mm -hmm. So, in fact, since God knows you're a slave to sin, he sends his son to be a ransom for people just like you. And so what does a person have to do in order to be saved? Uh, well, the only thing you do is you contribute your sin. So you say, you do the opposite of doing, and that is trusting in the one who does. And so this writer, it could be Paul, he says to these Jewish people, listen, the table's set before you. Here's Jesus, the high priest. You don't have to slay animals anymore. Matter of fact, that curtain is ripped. Do we not remember that uh, when Jesus died, that thick um, curtain 80 foot tall, some say, was ripped from top to bottom, showing that it was an act of God. Mm-hmm. It's ripped open, and it stays open. Yes. And so you can come into the presence of God anytime you want. Remember when Isaiah uh, looked at the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne? He knew he was undone. Even though he was a righteous man, he was undone. But the Lord covered him. It uses that same language here of the Day of Atonement. So he he says with Jewish language, believe. And then right after that... He talks about serving and doing some other things, but he says the opposite of believe is found in verse thirty. Uh, excuse me, verse twenty-six and following. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, I've just given you the truth for nine and a half chapters, <laughs> and if you want to stiff arm this high priest, if you don't want to believe, there aren't two saviors. So he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, mm. but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If you're not going to believe on Jesus, this is going to be your fate. I know your future. The text says, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God in verse 31. And I think, while scary that is for the unbeliever, and it should be, many Christians are frightened by those verses for themselves. They could be frightened for others, but they shouldn't be frightened for themselves because What they do is they go to verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately, and how many of us sin deliberately, the answers, we all do. The context is this, I present to you Jesus, the high priest, believe in him, but if you won't, if you want to be an apostate, here is your future. So, dear Christian, when you read Hebrews 10, 26, don't take that as, if I've sinned deliberately, I have lost my salvation. No, no, this is the opposite of believing. This is apostasy. And so if you tell me that you're sorry for your sins and you're sad that you commit them and you're still trusting in Jesus, even with a weak faith, Hebrews 10.26 isn't about you.
1: So that word deliberately, you said apostasy, which is a departure, uh, falling away from the faith or departing from the faith that's not we sin and we it is a deliberate sin because we know we choose to do that when we do come back and confess that sin we still have a conscience and we're sorrowful for our sin and we go to god and that we are still saved people i don't know why they get this idea i know it's a debate even among some theologians that you know can you lose your salvation but i i understand that in the light of what you're explaining there with apostasy
2: yeah, well, what happens is, if we, if we get Jesus right, that will help with the debate, can we lose our salvation? So remember, Jesus doesn't just come down on Friday, die, and go back up on Sunday. He's born of a virgin. We're going to celebrate that in the next couple of weeks, obviously with Christmas. And he lives a whole life, fulfills all righteousness, to use the language of Jesus himself. So he's earning merit. He's earning righteousness by his law-keeping. And then he dies on the cross for our sins, So remember, dear Christian, the doctrine of justification is God takes every one of your sins that you'll ever commit, past, present, and future. He placed them on Jesus at the cross, and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also takes all of Christ's life, his living for us, obeying the law for us, as we are creatures that we were supposed to obey. So Jesus obeys for us, and then that's called justification. So when God looks at you, he sees Christ. Now, when we sin, we're disciplined, but my future sins that I've committed of self-righteousness and pride and arrogance and being rude to my wife, etc., those have already been covered. That's why Paul says the opposite of justification is condemnation. And what does Romans 8 say? There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Praise God. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees perfect law-keeping so you can't unjustify yourself because you didn't justify yourself it's the work of jesus was jesus's life and death enough for all the sins of christians too jesus died for christian sins too
1: mm. full assurance of faith pastor mike abendroth thank you so much i didn't think that was possible but you did it you took <laughs> took hebrews 10 and gave us background on the on the book the epistle then brought us right to the just the the main text there, and I just thank you so much. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again myself. So we appreciate you coming on. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas, Pastor Mike.
2: Thank you. If they want to listen to the full sermons on Hebrews, it's at bbcchurch.org, bbcchurch.org. Thanks, David, for
1: having me on. Thank you. We'll put that link in today's podcast. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show and tell
0: you about the rest of the week. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth.
1: It was such a powerful last segment with Pastor Mike. That is just an amazing wrap up that he did to put Hebrews 10 to condense it like that. Just the PowerPoints, I would like to call it. So, uh, man, God bless him, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, Tomorrow, Mary Danielson, we're going to be talking about her new book called Home Before Dark, and also we'll be discussing the history of the feminist movement and how that has affected the church. We kind of talked a little bit about that today. Um, Thursday, Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach, and Friday, Josh Paris of Ephesians 5 Ministry, uh, dealing with sexual immorality, and that means in the church... And uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm just uh, so encouraged by what Pastor Mike shared. And we're just looking forward to continuing keeping that biblical perspective as we celebrate this Christmas season. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.